Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 96. I'm reading from the NIV. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the seas resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Steneric Armitage, and I am one of the pastors here at Trinity Fellowship Church, and I am so glad that you are here to join us on this Christmas Eve morning. Tonight, we are going to do precisely what this psalm is talking about. We've already started doing it this morning, singing to the Lord. And my question this morning is why? Why do we do that? A bigger question is, when we consider who God is, when we consider what God has done, when we consider what God is going to do, and this time of year is the time to really consider this, what is our right response supposed to be? This psalm that we just heard read for us answers that question. But first, I have a question for all of you. This is the congregational participation portion of the morning, okay? If we walked out to North Park Mall, let's say on December 21st, first of all, that's a bad idea. <laughs> but you're there December 21st, the crowds are there because everybody forgot to buy the Christmas presents for everyone, and you had a microphone in your hand, and you were walking around and saying, hey, what's the most important thing about Christmas for you? What are some of the responses you might hear? Family. Okay, I love it. What else? The birth of Jesus. That's what we want to hear. Do we think we're going to hear that? Maybe in Texas. But if we expanded our search to malls around the country, we'd probably hear some other things. So family, the birth of Christ. What else? Presence. And why are we there in the first place? What did I hear over there? Consumerism. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, that is precisely what society as a whole is going to do. We, we talk about presence and Christmas cookies and a Christmas tree and getting the lights up and these beautiful wreaths and making it look in a certain way so that we can feel a certain way. And doesn't Christmas really come about us and what we're taking in and what makes us feel good. Even the giving of presents 
Now, I'd like to think that in this room we have representatives who are selfless in all that they do. But isn't there something about giving a good present? And this is good. I think this is a good thing. It brings us joy to give. But how easy is it for that joy just to take that little turn where it becomes more about me, the giver, than the thing that I'm giving or the person I'm giving to? Nobody needs to acknowledge this, but you, you, you smell what I'm cooking here, right? This is a good time of year for us to look, take a good, honest, hard look at what it is that we value, what it is that we worship. What are the things that distract us from what this psalm is calling us to? And Christmas, just this great irony that this feast, this celebration of God becoming man and dwelling among us gets reduced to presents, cookies, decorations, and consumption. So we think about the ancient Near East. How many of you think about the ancient Near East on a regular basis? Okay, I see a show of hands. All right, amen. All right. They have their idols. They they have these stones, these monuments, and they they pray that their god, Marduk, or, or whoever the deity of the day might be, would indwell that stone. And then that stone becomes an object of power. That stone becomes an idol, and they worship that stone. And you and I, as 21st century sophisticates, look at that and go, oh, those primitive people, worshiping things that aren't God as though they are God. But we do the same thing. We may not worship a God of stone, but we let our hearts get kidnapped by distractions from God. I can think of no better way to start off a Christmas Eve sermon than an illustration from Star Trek. (laughs) Peace and long life, my friends. In the first movie, for those of us who are Star Trek fans, we don't like to talk about the first movie that often, but it's giving me a good illustration for right now. In the first movie, they are setting out the crew of the Enterprise on this journey, and they come across a strange thing. It's almost like a prophet. And she comes on board the ship and she's telling them about God. You have reached a place in the galaxy where God dwells. And all of these strange things start happening and all of these evidences. And it was fascinating to watch. It's not my favorite movie by any stretch of the imagination. But the crew of the Enterprise become theologians. They start asking big questions about God and could this be and the infinitude of of God and the power of God and what is God asking them to do. And if you remember the movie, there comes a point where this God figure says, I need your ship so that I can take my message to the rest of the galaxy. And the great theologian James Tiberius Kirk He pauses and he says, what does God need with a starship? That's a good question. What does God need with anything that we can provide? He is self-sufficient. He is God. Listen to this again. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. 
Can I ask you all to say that back to me? Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wondrous works among all peoples. Why? The psalm is giving us a command. It's telling us to sing. It's telling us three times, sing, sing, sing. And then we get to the fourth verse. For the Lord is great and highly, to be, highly praised. He is feared above all gods. We're given a cause for the command. We're given a, a reason why. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. This is, this is Christmas. This is not the time that we want to sing a new song. This is the time we want to sing those good old songs. This is the time we want to sing those Christmas carols, the ones that we actually know four-part harmony to because they've been ingrained into our hearts through the decades. The songs that even those who don't know Jesus sing this time of year. We want to sing those songs. Why do I want to sing a new song? Well, I have good news for you on two fronts. One, we're going to sing those songs tonight. So join us at 6 o'clock for the candlelight service, and we're going to sing some of those beautiful Christmas carols that proclaim the truth of who God is. We're going to sing those together tonight. But this idea of singing to the Lord a new song, it's not just a new song. It's good that we sing new songs. I, I think that if, if Earl sat down and wrote a Grammy and Dove Award winning song every day for a year, first of all, he'd need another office to hold all those Grammy and Dove Awards, but he also would not have written enough new songs. We need more new songs. We, we, we aren't done yet. We can't be done. Because God is still working. And when I look at this idea of sing to the Lord a new song, it's new in that it reflects a new event. It's new in that it reflects a new experience of divine intervention. Okay, I want all of you, this is, this is a test for the congregation, on the count of three, I just want you to hear you say, Amen, as though you believe God is good. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. All right. How many of you took a breath before you said amen? It should be everybody. If you don't remember taking a breath, trust me on this. <laughs> you took a breath. That is an act of divine intervention. Every breath we take is a gift from God. And look at how many men and women are in this congregation. I cannot keep track of all of you. I can, I can tell who's falling asleep and who's staying awake. That's about as far as I can go. I, I, I know who is sleeping. I know when you're awake. <laughs> but he is able to sustain every single function keeping us alive. And he does this as a testimony of his love and a testimony of his power. He is constantly intervening in our lives. This is why we sing a new song. And is it limited? No. Right there in verse 1, sing to the Lord the people in Trinity Fellowship Church in Richardson, Texas. No, it's all the earth. It is all the earth. There's nothing exempted from this call, this command to sing to the Lord a new song. Even those who don't know him are called upon to sing a new song. And what are we singing about? Well, verse 2 gives us this, this content. Bless his name 
tell of his salvation from day to day. Friends, as I was studying this psalm, Psalm 96, a couple of thoughts went through my head. And the first one was, why was I so clever when I planned this sermon series? Advent through the Psalms. It sounds poetic. It sounds good. It sounds fun. It sounds beautiful. But here I am on Christmas Eve with Psalm 96 going, where is Christmas in Psalm 96? There's nothing here about animals in a stable. There's nothing here about Emmanuel, God with us. And so I've been struggling for the past two or three weeks as I've been studying this psalm. I've been struggling because I don't want to force Christmas into a text that's not about Christmas. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim his salvation from day to day. Proclaim his salvation. Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger. Christmas is not just about shepherds hearing from angels and wise men setting out on a three-year journey to visit this king. Christmas is not just about all of the things that we set up in our nativity scenes to remind us of the holiday. Christmas is about God taking on flesh and walking with us, among us, to empathize with us, to provide an example for us, to do what none of us could do for ourselves. It is about the beginning steps of our salvation. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who came on this day. This day that we celebrate, his birth, is the beginning of the story of salvation. It's the beginning of this story that we proclaim from day to day, from Christmas Eve to New Year's Eve to Reformation Eve to Easter Eve to all of the Eves. Day to day, we proclaim his salvation. And where do we do it? We declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. If you'll allow me to be a nerd for a moment, as if the Star Trek illustration wasn't enough of an allowance, At the seminary, we have all these different departments. There's the pastoral ministries department, the theological studies department, Old Testament, Bible exposition, New Testament counseling. We have all of these departments at the seminary. And if you ask the various professors or students who are majoring in the programs, what is the most important department at Dallas Theological Seminary? Their answers are going to be the same. They're going to say the one that they're associated with. Well, clearly, it's the the Department of Old Testament Studies because all that ever will be said in Scripture is said in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we can find the gospel and revelation of God in the Pentateuch alone, let alone the fullness of the wisdom literature. Now, I'm a theology guy, so I think, well, Old Testament is fantastic, but what they're doing is in the service of theology because they are revealing who God is and what is theology, the study of who God is. And if we keep going, we're going to get all the answers. Well, clearly it's pastoral ministries because here is where we proclaim the word. Here is where we walk with people. Here's where we carry the burdens. Here's where we love the people that God has put before us. I think there actually is a right answer to this. It's the World Missions Department. That's the department that the other departments are providing fuel for because we have it right here. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. We are to proclaim this message of the God who became man and walked among us to the nations. It's not supposed to stay here. 
It's not supposed to stay in these walls of TFC or Dallas or Texas or the United States. This is a message that needs to be exploding from our lips, exploding from our hearts, exploding from our wallets to provide ways for the message of Jesus Christ to go out to all nations. His wondrous works need to be seen by all peoples. And then the why, the cause, for the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods. All gods. Okay, so there's, there's other gods. Let me wrap my head around this for a second. What does the text say? Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless. Full stop. Your, your translation might say worthless idols. The word idol isn't there in the Hebrew. That's just worthless All the gods of the nations are worthless. They're they're empty. And there's a pun there. All the Elohim, all the Elohim are worthless. Elohim. All the Elohim are Elohim. All the gods are worthless when we consider who God is. They fail. They're the dumb rocks that people pray to. There's nothing in that rock that is worthy of worship. In fact, the psalm goes on to tell us that rock is going to proclaim the glory of God. All creation is going to proclaim the glory of God. For all the gods of the peoples, all the Elohim are Elohim, are worthless idols. But the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens. So we think about these gods of the ancient Near East that the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about Dagon and Marduk and all of these, these creep Molech, all of these gods. What is their domain? Their domain is the heavens. And what is the psalmist saying? <laughs> Your gods are worthless. God made the heavens, the place where they allegedly live. They live in a place that God created for them. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. I want you to hear those four words. Splendor, majesty, strength, beauty. And those are his attendants. Those are his... Anywhere that God goes, these four go before him. There is no place where God is where his strength and his majesty and his beauty are missed. His strength is always. He is worthy of praise. So is God an egomaniac desperately seeking our praise? Any other creature on the planet or in history that we would talk like this about, that would be a true statement. But you see, God is not an egomaniac. He's the exception to the rule. He's actually worthy of it. He's actually the one who is not crying out for us to worship him because he needs our worship. He is the one who is. And if we don't worship him, he still is. If we don't worship him, he is still worthy of our worship. This is why we are called to sing to the Lord and bless his name. This is why we're called to sing a new song. And it goes on and it tells us what this worshiping, what this call looks like. It looks like humble submission. Look at verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. This is recognizing, okay, glory. That's not mine. 
That's his strength. Any strength that I have is on loan. He is strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Now that Israel has declared his glory, the nations must respond by ascribing to him what is true. They have wrongly been ascribing these things, these false idols, to these, these dumb rocks and statues, the empty Elohim, that which is worthless. Now they must pay it rightly to the one who is worthy. That's the call. That's the ascribing. And how are they to do it? Well, one of the things that's mentioned there is an offering. And I thought, okay, so this is an offering of praise. Looking at the context of the psalm, it must be an offering of praise, what we've been doing so far this morning. Uh, But then I did that thing where I spent some time and actually studied the text and looked at it. The word used there for offering is synonymous with the concept of tribute. And this is not a sermon about giving. This isn't a sermon about stewardship. This isn't a, a plea for you desperately to give to TFC. But it's explicit here. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring a tribute and come into his courts. Giving our financial resources, giving of our time and our talents, it's worship. It's how worship begins. When we enter into this place, we give of ourselves. I don't know how often you've thought of this, and we we aren't passing the plate at present. The plate is digital and in the back. But when we take the time to click submit after we follow that QR code, when we take the time to write that check and put it in the offering plate in the back, we are doing what this psalm says. We are bringing a tribute of worship. And here's the way that I think about that tribute. Everything I have and everything I am is something that I have been called to look after. It's something that I've been called to steward. It's not something that I truly own. So when I bring a tribute and I give it to God, when I, when I write that check, when I volunteer for those hours, when I serve in that way, I am saying, God, you have given me all things, and I am giving back to you that which is your own. Rather than selfishly hoarding that which you have given me, I am returning to you what you have given to me. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you've just asked me to take care of a couple of the cows. And I, as tribute, give back to you that which is yours. This is giving a tribute. It seems like a surprising command when we look at the context All the nations, let the whole earth tremble before him. How do those who are unclean, how how are those who are, when we think of the context of the ancient Near East, the foreign, Gentile, unbelieving nations, why are they invited to bring an offering? Well, they're invited to take their place alongside the Israelites. This psalm gives us a picture of Christmas because Jesus did not come for the Jewish people. He came for humanity. He came for all of us. And this message is to be called out amongst the people so that the peoples might come. Uh, George Peters, the great missiologist, said that when we look at missions in the Old Testament, we have the beauty of Israel and we have the presence of God and his strength and his honor and his glory and his beauty there with the people of Israel. And the other nations, 
stand from the outside and they look in. And they go, there's something different about Israel's God. There's something different about him. He seems to actually be worthy of this worship rather than this pet rock I've been praying to for the past 30 30 years. And so people, George Peters said, would be attracted to the beauty of God and they would come to the temples and they would make tribute and they would become a part of the believing community. We now live in the New Testament era. And now we don't have an attractional model. We now have the model of go and tell. We who believe that God is worthy of worship have a responsibility to do what the psalm is calling us to do in verse 3, to declare his glory among the nations. And why? Why do we do this? Simply because he is king. We don't live in a world that understands or appreciates what a true monarchy is anymore. We, we, we barely understand as Americans what a constitutional monarchy, a parliamentary monarchy is. We just know it's what they did over there and we got out of it. Right? But a true monarchy where the king is the supreme authority, that, that is very foreign to our political structures and thought. But God is king. He doesn't need our vote. He doesn't need our approval. He doesn't need our worship. And that makes the beauty of who he is all the more beautiful because he's invited us in to relationship with him where we can worship him and ascribe to him what is his due. His stable and sure creation upon which we depend the gravity that is holding me to this platform, the rain that is falling to water the trees and the grass and to ensure that we don't have a white Christmas in Dallas. All of these things are proclaiming the glory of God. If we remain silent, creation is going to continue to point to the beauty of who God is. So verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. They will shout for joy before the Lord. Why? For he is coming. I wrestled for so long. How in the world is Psalm 96 going to be relevant for Christmas Eve? He is the king. He is the king who has come, and he is the king who is coming again. And why is he coming? For he is coming to judge the earth. Okay, that sounds like it should be scary. But remember who God is. He is the God of righteousness. He is the God of holiness. He is the God of goodness. That means that when God judges, he's not going to judge in the way that we consider courts judging. He's going to judge the way that we wish the courts would judge. He's going to judge perfectly, righteously, in all goodness and perfection and beauty. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. We can rejoice because the Lord is coming to set things right. He's come. We are remembering today and tomorrow his coming as that little baby in Bethlehem the beginning of those 33 years of ministry that culminated in that work of salvation that gives us life and hope. We remember that 
But we also remember he is coming again. And he is coming again to set all things right as the holy and perfect redeemer and judge. What is it that you need the Lord to set right? What is the situation in your, in your life, in your family, that is not as it should be? Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a situation that is creating anxiety or depression at work. What is it that the Lord needs to set right? Well, this is who our God is. He is the one who will one day make all things be as they should be. The perfect judge who is coming. This morning, uh, we heard read from Luke 2, Mary's song. I absolutely love that song. I'm not going to reread it to you now, but we heard it read over here. And you know what that was? Mary finding out that she was going to be the one to carry God and to give birth to the Messiah. She burst forth in song. It was a song that had not been previously recorded. It was a new song, one that's worthy of a Dove Award and a Grammy at the very least. And if we keep reading in Luke chapter 2, we have more songs. We, we have the shepherds and the angels singing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. We have in Luke chapter 2, Anna singing a new song. We have the song of Simeon being sung. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised for my eyes looking upon the Messiah. He says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I don't know why I'm suddenly going to King James. My Bible is not King James. Mine eyes have seen thine salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to who? To the Gentiles. Good news, folks, that's us. And glory to your people, Israel. A new song. We have new songs when we find out that the Messiah is coming, just bursting out of Mary and Anna and Simeon and later Zechariah, and it continues throughout the Scriptures and throughout the history of the church, the people of God bursting forth in a new song. This is what we're called to do, to sing to the Lord, for He is worthy. Amen? He alone is worthy. Amen? This time of year when we consider His coming, we are reminded of His worthiness and we should cry out, Alleluia! He has come and He is coming again. In the life of Jesus Christ, we see this psalm fulfilled. Verse 2 says, Tell of His salvation from day to day. 1 John 2.2, listen to this. He is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation needs an entire sermon wrapped around it. Suffice it to say, he took care of our sin problem. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You cannot outsin the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not possible. Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient for Gentiles, non-Jewish people as well. Ephesians 2, 7, uh, 2, verse 12. Some of you may be able to remember this day better than others. I can certainly remember mine. Remember that you were at that time 
separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now. My favorite word in the Bible is but. But God. But now. But then. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Hear that again. For he himself is our peace. Can I get an amen? amen? He is our peace who has made us both one and those of us who are broken down. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us. He has made us one people in him. I look in this room and I see people of different ages, backgrounds, ethnicities, political ideations. And what has the God who is peace done? He has brought us together in this place for one purpose. To worship Him. Now, we have been made clean. And as a result, we can do what verse 8 of this psalm says. We can ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. We can worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We can tremble before him all the earth. I just want to touch on that trembling for a second. It could mean trembling before him because we're coming face to face with this God who is worthy of worship, who is so majestic, so, so worthy of our awe that we have no response but to tremble in fear. Not necessarily ter terror, but fear in who he is. But you know what the word in the Hebrew for tremble also translates to? Dancing. And what is this psalm talking about? Singing a new song and proclaiming through song. Sing, 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 tell, ascribe, ascribe, tremble. I'm not going to call us to get up and dance around the sanctuary this morning. But when is the last time you felt so full of joy and peace? <laughs> That there's nothing you could do but dance. I, I can't. Re I, I remember dancing. I don't remember the motivation. And I do dance like no one was watching because no one watches. <laughs> but I want you to think about the joy. If we reflect truly and beautifully on who this God is, the joy we would be like David who completely lost control of himself and spun and danced in celebration of who God is. This, this is what Christmas should bring to us. Yes, it should bring family, the beauty of giving gifts, the reminders of the fellowship we have with one another. It should bring all those things, but far more than that, it is a reminder that this God has made us clean and has called us to himself. After his death and resurrection, Jesus sent his disciples out to all the nations. We're not called to just be good, beautiful, faithful Christians, loving and sharing and encouraging one another in this space. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then, after he gave us that command, he ascended into heaven to reign. And we already sang from Revelation 19 this morning. Now I want to remind you of a song from Revelation chapter 5. And they sang, what kind of a song did they sing? They sang a new song is what my Bible says. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you 
talking to the one that we celebrate this morning, our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's a new song. And they will reign when Jesus comes again. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Spoiler alert, the Son of Man is Jesus. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. What is that? That is judgment. That's what we read about in this psalm. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is the king who is coming to judge the people with equity, verse 10 of our psalm, and to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness, verse 13. When Jesus comes again and restores his whole kingdom on earth, we're going to sing some great old songs, just like we're going to sing tonight. But we, as a congregation, we, as the people of God, we are going to sing to the Lord a new song. And I cannot wait to get that sheet music. I cannot wait to hear and see and participate in the songs that we will all be singing in the new heavens and the new earth. Austin Eric, I'm not a very good singer. I don't think God wants to hear me singing. Well, remember what the scriptures say. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You can, you can bring your monotone, discordant voice to this symphony. And you know what? It's going to fit in. And it will be a new song giving God glory. So here's my question for us now, with only a couple minutes left. What do we do in the meantime? As we're waiting for the one who has come to come again, Can we still say he reigns when life is hard, when suffering abounds, when when God seems absent? Do we have a firm footing to the point where even in those dark nights of the soul, we can say he reigns? Uh, the, The biblical theologian, Dr. Mays, says, but strangely, persecution, pain, and injustice are all the more reason for singing, for we sing in anticipation of what is coming. Are we ready to declare his marvelous works even now? How do we do that daily? How do we abide in hope, in reality? Well, I have some suggestions for you. In anticipation of that coming day, let us daily sing to the Lord a new song. Well, how do we do that? Well, we can sing. That's one. But I want us to think about who God is, who we are, and what he's done. How many of you, and this is the congregational participation, and this is a way for me to make sure who's actually still awake so that I can report to Santa who's sleeping and who's awake, etc. How many of you are planning on getting lunch after church today? How many of you are planning on getting lunch at some point in the future? Some of you are fasting for a long time. (laughs) At lunch today, maybe on the car ride on the way home, I want you to ask one another a question. What is one thing 
that I take for granted that is cause to ascribe glory to God? What is one thing in my life that I just gloss over, but if I took a moment and, and looked at it, I'd see he is worthy of my praise for that thing, that thing that I have taken for granted for so long. What is that thing? So that's step one, something you can do today on the car ride on the way home. Step two, I want you to get a notebook. Maybe you already have a notebook. Some of you may be journalers already, but if you're not, I want you to get a notebook. And every evening, I want you to look back at the day, and I want you to identify three things where you see God's provision, His hand in your life, His mercy, His love. Three things. Some days that is going to be so easy, and three is going to be too small of a number. Other days, it's going to be harder. But if we take an honest look at our day and we consider who we are, what God is, and what he has done, and what he is doing, we'll be able to find those three things. I think it'll be difficult for you to have a day where you cannot ascribe three things to God for his glory. And then, finally, that's an everyday thing. This week, Christmas Eve, Next time we get together is New Year's Eve and we're stepping into 2024, if you can believe it. I want you to reflect this week and ask, not the question, what is it in my life that God needs to set right? We've already talked about that. What is it in your life, when you look at your life, that God has set right? Where has that healing occurred? Where has that peace come? Where has that provision, when did that provision arrive? Reflect back, what has God set right? What is your song? And then make that known. Make that known to the nations. Tell those that you love, hey, there was a time when this was true, but God has set that right. Let that be your new song. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is who he has said? Do you believe he's done what we confess? Has he, is he the God of the Nicene Creed that we read and recite together? Now, this is, a, this is a yes or no question for all of you. Do you believe Jesus is coming again to judge, to reign, to restore? I do. Some days it's harder than others, but I believe it to be true. If we believe these things, how can we do anything else but sing? Sing a new song. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may we be a people who sing a new song and sing to you and join in with all of creation to praise you and to worship you. May we be a people who discipline ourselves to do that which we should do by instinct, which is to bless your name. Give us the courage to tell one another of your salvation day by day. And then build on that and give us the courage to tell of your salvation to those around us, around the world. May we be a people who remember that you are great and greatly to be praised. This Christmas season, protect us from the idols of selfishness, consumerism, tradition, addiction, and remind us of why we are gathering together. You who are God, you who are holy and worthy of our worship, 
And the second person of the Trinity came down and dwelt among us. Humbled yourself for us. And gave yourself so that we might have life. This morning, even as we prepare later on in this service to gather around the table to remember what your Son has done, may that be an opportunity for us to declare your glory. As we tell the story of what Jesus has done for us despite our sinfulness so that we might stand with righteousness before you, May we declare it in joy. Thank you for sending your son, not just so that we would have a cute story to tell at Christmas time, but so that we might have life and life everlasting. We pray this in his precious name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.